Thanks, Billy. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Uh, it, you know, uh, when, when you're thinking about a, a moment like this, about the last sermon that uh, I'm likely to preach here for quite a while now, uh, thinking, Lord, what, what is it you want me to share with my friends, uh, uh, my family here? And um, I thought we'd go into this chapter, which is known throughout, been known throughout the generations and throughout the world as a, a chapter that talks about God's children who are confident in God, uh, their faith in God. So let's just read from verses 1 through to 6. Uh, now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though uh, he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. And God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the clock, it's 20 to 12. And you know how long I talk for? Um, <laughs> but do you mind if I bring a sermon that God's laid in my heart? As you, as you know, this chapter uh, gets to the heart of the people that we're called to be. We're to be people of all sorts of things. Uh, we, we are to be big, people filled with every cell uh, with love uh, and uh, with grace. Um, I, pray, I pray to God that as people look back uh, on this church in years and years to come, uh, they, they will say of this church that they were a people who knew what it was to love. They were people who extended the hand of grace to anyone uh, and everyone. And I see that uh, in you. Uh, so whilst love and grace are absolutely essential, so is this ingredient called faith. We are to be people of faith. Everyone in this chapter is commended for their faith. We get that. We aspire to be people like that. But we're, if we're honest, <laughs> we find it really scary to live by faith. When we hear about a missionary living by faith, we think, oh, that's wonderful. God bless them. Thank you, God, for not calling me to that. I want you to just give uh, three examples from uh, this chapter, which we've not read in entirety. Just think about Abraham. Abraham, leave your surroundings, your culture, your security, and go to a place I'll show you. Uh, he didn't even have a forwarding address. Why did God ask an older person to move? Because I guess the older we get, the harder it is to give things to God. Would you agree with that? Um, we have more. Uh, we get more comfortable. I was uh, smiling. A mate of mine is a pastor over in Sirencester, and he was saying that his son 
has gone walkabout. And uh, he's been going walkabout for about 18 months. And, uh, and he said he had to leave a lot, actually. Uh, he said he left most of his clothes on the bedroom floor. And that was about all he owned. Uh, and, uh, and off he went. But it changes as we get older. We get more comfortable, too. It's a bigger risk. The wealthier we get, the more reluctant we are to give it away. And, and yet, my, one of my favorite, favorite lines, somebody at the end of a funeral do you know how much he left? All of it. And yet, we, we, it's like Velcro to us. And, and, and if we're not careful what it does, it, 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 it's a bit like ivy on a tree that, that sucks the life out of the beauty of that plant. And all of a sudden it becomes withered. Just be careful, especially for us who live in a wealthier part of the world. Abraham. I do find it fascinating that God waited until he was an older man to move him. And then you got Moses. Moses, I want you to go back to the scene of your greatest failure. I want you to go back to the place where you are going to feel the most vulnerable. It must have been terrifying from this young prince who fled for his life and lived in a wilderness for 40 years to go back to the scene of his greatest failure. See, there is something within us that want to operate constantly out of our gifting and strength. And yet in Scripture, time and time again, we find that God takes us out of our strength, puts us into a place where we're vulnerable and says, now I can use you because you're totally dependent on my grace, my mercy, and my power. It's scary, this faith lark, isn't it? And then Gideon. I love Gideon. It's just a one-liner in Hebrews chapter 11. But the life of Gideon is remarkable. And he says to Gideon, I want you to stop hiding. And he was literally hiding from the, this plague of Midianites on, on um on the prairie that were coming to attack and to steal and to do all manner of things. And he says, Gideon, you who see yourself as so small, I have selected you to go and deliver my people. <laughs> and so Gideon, as you know, he lays down a fleece and lays down something else and eventually goes and he's got this biggish army and then God reduces his army to 300 blokes. <laughs> Gideon's going, I'm fighting that horde with these? And he said, absolutely right. I will fight the battle for you. You see, that's the key. See, for so many of us, we, we don't roll up our sleeves, we don't get stuck in, we don't put that first foot over because we, we're looking at our resources and we think they're so little. And yet what God does time again, he says, look, I delight in using weakness. I want you to contrast these stories of Abraham, of Moses, and of Gideon uh, with people who, who failed like us so many times to actually take that step of faith. Think about the people. We keep reading about them. They're just this generation. For 40 years, they walked in a, in a wilderness, just round and round and round and round in a wilderness, accomplishing nothing. Why? Because they didn't believe God's promises. 
I've said this to you many, many times. I don't want to be a person that's just walking around in circles. I want to have that courage. Please, God, give me that courage to trust you enough to take the steps so that I can live in your adventure. That this life one day, which will come to an end here, I know it'll live for eternity, but it'll come to an end here, but I'll be able to say, I dare to walk that adventure uh, with God. Think about the rich young ruler. The guy who had everything apart from that personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus confronts him and says to him what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, he walks away sad because the cost was too great. And how true that's been in my life on so many occasions. When I look back in the past, I think, oh my goodness, that seems such a big cost. And God says, really? We're on this planet, what, for nanoseconds? And you're going to live with me for eternity? And yet, we seem to see the value of this compared to that. It's amazing what our scales look like. I remember, I've shared with this issue um, many times, but when I became a Christian, I became a Christian at the age of 15. And uh, when I was 16, I walked away from God because I just couldn't share Jesus with other people. I do find it fascinating all these years later that he actually put a call in my life to actually talk to everybody about Jesus. I remember being on my face in the lounge, coming back to God and saying, God, I'll come back to you as long as you promise that I don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. And I just sensed that uh, somewhere in those, uh, the angels up there, they said, okay, Dave, for most people, you have to talk about Jesus. But for you, this is an exception. You can just be quiet. And I said, okay, Lord. And what I do, I go out and I start to tell everybody about Jesus. Why? Because I was so in love with him. And, and you know, I hope you get this. I still am. I just love him. I love him so much. I've shared with you, um, I've tried to be as honest as I possibly can about uh, my life. Um, I've tried to be as vulnerable as I can with you. Uh, because you know, we've got to do real. We've got to do real. And uh, as you know, when I was growing up, uh, I had a difficult, difficult relationship with my dad. And, um, and I've shared with you how my dad became a Christian. And my dad changed. He, my dad became this unbelievable source of love and encouragement. So that's what Jesus Christ does to you. And um, you also know, I've, sh I've shared with you recently, that uh, one of the highlights of my week now is to go down to Swansea, uh, go to a greasy spoon cafe. I know it to spoil my dad. And we, and we just have a bacon sandwich together. Well, actually, there's a bit more than that. But I have a bacon sandwich. And we talk together. We laugh together. We reminisce together. Um, and, uh, and, and do you know what he's doing? He, he, he's building life into me. Because that's what dads do. And, and uh, you know, the reason why I love Jesus so much is because I've got to know his character. Unbelievable character of Jesus. And if you would give him a chance... He would show you what he's truly like. And do you know, when you see love that's expressed like this at Calvary, and you ever doubt how much God loves you, you just keep looking at that cross. That's how much. Uh, we, used to, uh, we used to have this game when the kids were growing up. So how much do you love me? And, and they'd go, I love you this much. Have you did play this game? And, um, and then so, oh, I love you this much. Okay. And then, of course, they'd get to that point. And of course, whenever I got to that point, I also thought of Christ. I love you this much. It's just so powerful. 
So what is faith? Faith is, um, faith is about being confident, actually. Now, faith is being sure. That's what it says in verse 1, isn't it? Have a look at it. Faith is about being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, another word, uh, the one I've just used, is confident. And, and, and some verses that mean a lot to me are from Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah chapter 17. And funnily enough, Val and I were only talking about these verses just the other day. Uh, and these verses are, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Picture the scene. It's just arid, arid wilderness. And then you've got this tree that's green and bearing leaves and bearing fruit. How can it do it? Trust. Trust in God's roots go down deep into the faithfulness of God's grace and mercy. It's a beautiful Beautiful picture. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. I've shared with you before that uh, one of the standout books for me uh, was written by a man called Brennan Manning. And this is how he starts his book. He says, this book started right in itself with a remark from my spiritual director, Brennan, you don't need any more insights into the faith. He observed, you've got enough insights to last you 300 years. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you've received. I love that. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you've received. So many of us here have received so much of God. So much. And we've just got to start taking Him at His word. Your life and mine will be defined by the extent in which we trust Jesus. That's what will define our lives. How much do we take him by his word? One of my favorite hymn writers um, said this. Every year I live, in fact, nearly every day, I seem to see more clearly how all the peace, happiness, and power of the Christian life hinges on one thing. That one thing is taking God at his word. Believing he really means exactly what he says and accepting the very words that reveal his goodness and grace without substituting other words or changing the precise moods and tenses he has seen fit to use. Shall I say that again? Because it's just, it, this matters. Every year I live, in fact, nearly every day, I seem to see more clearly how all the peace, do we want that? Happiness and power of the Christian life hinges on one thing. What is that one thing? Is taking God at his word. Believing he really means exactly what he says and accepting the very words that reveal his goodness and grace without substituting other words or changing the precise moods and tenses he has seen fit to use. Webster's Dictionary defines trust as assured reliance on the character, ability, strength or truth of someone or something. The level of our trust will hinge on the value we place in the character, ability, strength, and truth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Is he trustworthy? Yeah. Yes, he is. Do you know, I don't know why, but Bob the Builder came to mind there. Can he do it? Yes, he can. I am so sorry. 
That's my, cult- that's my cultural background, that is. Bob the Builder. Can he do it? Yes, he can. Uh, another one, uh, one of these for the, for the culture vultures here. Uh, my, my, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Another one is, have we made our God too small, too small? Have we made our God too small? And the answer is, yes. When we truly grasp who we're talking about here, the creator of the cosmos, the one who knit you together in the womb of your mum. This is the one who made those promises to his disciples. Uh, I will never leave you or forsake you. And when Good Friday came, they looked at those promises and their, their hearts were dashed. But God keeps his promises because Friday was dark and so was Saturday, but Sunday was coming. I love that sermon that Tony Campola refers to. Uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. See, God keeps his uh, promises. Let me share with you, just briefly, um, a testimony from a man called Gerald May. He says, I know that God is loving and that God's loving is trustworthy. I know this directly through the experience of my life. There have been plenty of times of doubt, especially when I used to believe that trusting God's goodness meant I would not be hurt. But having been hurt quite a bit... I know God's goodness goes deeper than all the pleasure and pain. It embraces them both. You will have heard me say that I get very concerned about some of the triumphalism uh, that we hear within spirituality sometimes, the spiritual circles. Uh, That if you have enough faith for this or uh, if you have enough faith for that, you'll be protected from that or you'll be delivered from that. No, you need to hear, I believe in a a miracle-working God. But I also believe that we're in a world of pain and heartache and brokenness. And stuff will happen uh, to us. Let me just read some of the verses a bit later on in Hebrews 11 as I try and bring this uh, to a close. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, I want to buy into some of that. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Oh my goodness, should that be in there? And refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. And you know what it says of them? The world was not worthy of them. All of them right in the center of God's will. Got to be careful with this triumphalism. Trusting God isn't about closing our eyes, crossing our fingers, and, and just believing that everything's going to be painless. That's not the Christianity. That's not, hopefully, the gospel I've been bringing you. If that was the case, why would ever, why would ever Jesus face Gethsemane? Why, why would the cross have ever been necessary? 
When Jesus said uh, to Peter and to, to, uh, to Andrew and to James and John, follow me, he then didn't say, oh, by the way, detour Gethsemane. You don't need to go there. See, if we want to follow Jesus, the cross has to come before glory. The cross has to come before resurrection. And it's trusting Jesus enough to be able to say to him, Lord, I'm not quite sure what the future holds, but I know that you hold me and I know that you hold the future. As you know, I've had this running thing with Sheila Burr for some years now about saying, the older you get, it's easier being a Christian. And what I mean by that is this, is that you have more of a story. You have more of a back catalogue. You have the back catalogue of God's answers to prayer, proving his faithfulness time and time and time again. Now, the remarkable thing about this, I, I wonder if you'll agree with me, that probably the most significant moments of growth in your spiritual life aren't in the happy, sunny days. They're in the dark valleys. And we would do whatever we can to get out of those dark valleys, but actually it's through those dark valleys that God takes away some of the veneer gets to the true person that we really are and says, I can deal with this now. I've now got your flesh in my hands. You're aware of your weakness. That's fine. I knew you were weak anyway. But, but just like a person who's drowning in the sea cannot be helped until he stops and allows the person to actually bring them into the boat. It's the same with us. We've got to say, Jesus, yes, absolutely. Just take me as I am. It's usually some of the stuff that knocks the, the whatever out of us. That gets us to that point where we just say, okay, God, I, I, I can't do this in my strength anymore. Let, let me just share as I, as I finish. Um, from the same book. We often presume that trust will dispel the confusion. That trust will dispel the confusion. Illuminate the darkness, vanquish the uncertainty, and redeem the times. But the crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 11 testifies that this is not the case. Our trust not, does not bring final clarity on this earth. It doesn't still the chaos or dull the pain or provide a crutch. When all else is unclear, the heart of trust says, as Jesus did on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands. Because when I look at those nail-pierced hands, I trust them. <laughs> you know that when I was younger, I tried to play cricket. Uh, and, and every now and again, this little thumb of mine reminds me about the catches I dropped. And um, two, I had two broken bones in that thumb. For, I was feeling the gully, and I should have caught one, but I dropped it. And I got a lot of sympathy off my mates, uh, as you can imagine. Um, I can't tell you how many balls I've dropped. Oh, my goodness. A spectacular drops. Simple drops. But I've dropped them. When Emma was, I don't know, one, 15 months, I don't know, we used to play this game. I love this game. Emma would stand at the top of the stairs. I would stand a few stairs down and go, jump, Em. And Emma would go, way, and off she'd go. I'd catch her, all very excited. I put it back on the top step, move down a step. Jump him! Way! M comes, I catch her. Fantastic. Go down one more step. <coughs> Emma never doubted her dad until the day I dropped him. 
And I said, it goes to show you should never trust people, Emma. Okay? No, I didn't say that. But Emma looked at me slightly different after that. Uh, when, I said to, when I said to her, jump in, she'd go, mm, I'm doing a bit of a calculation here. How many steps has he gone down? Okay? When God says to you, jump, you start to question your mind because you know some of the falls that you've had and some of the pain and some of the bleeding knees and some of the broken hearts. And you do that calculation and you say, God, how far do you say you want me to jump? And so the older we get, the more we remember the pain. But guys, what I want you to remember today as I finish and I stop talking was that Good Friday, that darkest of days, seemed so dark. And some of the days that might have seemed your biggest failures, if you put them into God's hands, can become his greatest treasure store. I've shared that um, some of the things in my background um, you don't want children to go through. But I thank God for every experience that I've ever had. And some of you will have been going through experiences. And what I'm saying to you, if you give that brokenness and you give that pain to Jesus, it is remarkable the bouquets he can make from our pain. You have no idea. I have no idea of what God can build in you if you're prepared to give him that trust to say, okay, I'll take the step. Let's pray. I want to stop. Father, I pray for myself, for Sue, our family. Uh, I pray for our extended family here that you would help us to be these people that trust you because you are a God of integrity. Uh, your character is flawless. So help us, Father, when we see things. Help us to see it in the light of who you are. And also what you have done. Not just in our lives, but through the pages of scripture and through history. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.